Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the marketing minds of GeConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew P. And this is episode number 44, and we also have Becca. Hi! Party time. <laughs> yeah, party, party. We're here on Friday. How many days from yeah. IBS? I don't know, it's like four weeks, three weeks? Yeah, is it that, that far away? I feel like it's, I I feel like it's coming in like a freight train now all the emails back and <laughs> forth about you know every other social media update is make sure you see me at the show uh, don't worry we'll be adding to that mix shortly <laughs> our, sure ourselves we will. we'll wait uh, maybe that's a good actually why not why not just oh, lead with that yeah. so we have um, six different events coming up at the builder show that, that you can come and be a part of is that right that sounds I like a lot six, one that two, is a lot three, four five six yeah yeah those are right. all all Let's the start with them so, and if we're all wrong we'll figure it out yeah so <laughs> we've got actually we're not even going to talk about them because there's so many there's six we'll break them down later but yeah. there, there are six <laughs> different events that you can come and a see uh, Jen Mike Andrew or myself speak at on all different topics marketing sales uh, online sales be sure to stop out say hello check us out or just go to doconvert.com slash events to see the full listing of events coming up yeah what an easy URL you're so smart <laughs> events that's it yeah that's, yeah that's an easier way to do that okay stuff. let's dive into story time because as always we've got a packed episode I, I when we first started this, Andrew, I never would have guessed that our average episode length would be over an hour. No, I even but, think on the calendar, we're like, oh, like half an hour will be fine. It'll be like 20, 25 <laughs> minutes. Take five minutes to get, you know, make sure the tech is working. Nah. Yeah. And yet you people will not stop asking for more. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it was Renee and Albuquerque who was like, okay, I'm waiting for the next episode. I'm just going to go listen to them all again. It's like, man, okay. that's some pressure. That get at this pressure. out now. I, she's a nice person, so I don't picture her screaming at me, but I just feel this. You gotta. So I think what I'm going to do one day just for you, Renee, is I'm just going to record myself for 24 hours. And then that will be yeah. a separate stream just for you. You can listen to everything that I'm doing throughout the day. Daily, Kevin. Just set up like Facebook Live, uh, like a watch party. Kevin Oakley oh, in his good. office. Everyone can sit there. What is he doing? 30 minutes later. Oh, oh sorry. I was looking at some analytics. Yeah, right. You'd have to see the screen or it would not be compelling whatsoever. That's right. Okay. Sorry. Now, this is why the episodes go so long. Becca, story time. Story time. New house story time. The foundation has passed inspection and framing Ooh. starts tomorrow in my new house. Wow. Wait, on Saturday? Yeah, on Saturday, they're going to start over the weekend. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you know the single most important thing to do for your framing crew to make sure that they do a good job on your house? Bring them donuts? Bingo. I was going to say pizza, but you have to bring them something. Okay. You have to, I, don't, I don't know. That's just like an old wives tale. That's what you do. You bring your framers whatever they want. Give them drinks, food, anything that make them slow down and just make sure that everything is square and done the best way possible. Seems important. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, okay. Cal, it's a, just a Caldini influence, right? It's reciprocity. You're going to do yes. something nice for them. They don't know who you are. They're just there to frame a house. So and they just I'm that really nice person who brings you donuts and pizza. Donuts. Yeah. Make my house just a little bit better. Yeah. Make it good. That is awesome. I'm jealous. I'm quite So jealous. I guess you... tomorrow I'm going to bring donuts over to the site. That's right. <laughs> Coffee, yeah. beer in the afternoon if they drink. Oh, yeah. If they don't drink. Um, drink. Uh, once they're done for the day. Yeah. Once yeah. They're done. Yeah. Done. <laughs> no power tools and beer. They don't mix. Yeah. Nah. OSHA. Oh, man. Yeah. That is cool. That is cool. So this is like a race now, Becca versus Andrew. It yeah. is a race. I was going to say, so I'm down here in Florida. It's block construction. You know, we're like three miles from 
the water hurricanes. Do you still call the person stacking the Lego blocks a framer? Uh, no, no, they're Mason. What are they? They're Masons. Okay. <laughs> I, but yeah. I, well, I was thinking more the end, like Mason. I don't even know. Maybe that was dumb. But well, they're they, going to frame the second floor. They'll, um, no, on top no. of the block, right? All it's block. all, it's 100% block. It's all block. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. termites. I should have got, I got pictures I of the other houses. Well, I'll have pictures of my house. But yeah, all block. The only personal experience I have, because everywhere that I worked at as a builder past 2007, all used poured wall foundations instead of the block. Oh. And, but the first house that I built over here in Hilliard, Ohio in 2004, the basement was block foundation. And I just remember thinking it took, there's like one guy and sometimes one and a half. <laughs> and it just seemed like it took him a week and a half to get the basement done. Oh. But that's probably because we're in Ohio and they'll probably fly down in Florida because all that's There's just how they do it. They're yeah. used to it. Yeah. They're used to it. Yeah. A bunch of block. Yeah. So ours, um, we just, I just got email like 20 minutes ago. We're still waiting on permits. Dot, 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 dot. Was she as excited this time? Um, she did use a lot of exclamation points any day now, <laughs> but not as many words. It was like the, I guess how she, it was good. You know, Friday, who do I need to give updates to? Cause it's, you know, it was like 315 or something, but like, oh, the peak family. Okay. Let me send something to them. Hopefully they're not upset. And so I'm like, thanks for the update. I sent her a picture. I'm like, we drove by the other day. Here's what the lot looks like. Um, <laughs> it's there it was grass, obviously. It's not grass anymore. It looks like they started grading it, and there's oh, good. stuff in the, there's stuff in the ground. I'm like, huh, no permits, but they could do that. I guess who knows? Yeah, as soon as yeah. they own the land, as soon as they bought it from the developer, they can. The technical term is scratch dirt. <laughs> They're scratching and, some dirt. And for your insight, Andrew, that's definitely something that happens. Like in a start meeting, hey, have we been able to start this house yet? No, sir. We're waiting on permits to come back. Okay, how's the customer doing? They're getting a little antsy. All right, send the machine over and scrape the grass off. Make, yeah. make it make it look like we're doing something. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And we have been, definitely. Yeah. We haven't followed yeah. up like since like we haven't been bugging them, I guess. We've been easy. They're probably more worried, like, oh, they're quiet. What is what is happening? <laughs> oh no, they're counting their lucky stars. That's yes. like, home builders never worry about you being quiet. As long as they have their money and their selections, we're good. Yeah. We're good. We're good. <laughs> and then a um a second story is a quick update. What was this last week or the week before? I cannot remember. I think it was a week before. Was it the week before? The the two beach bars I drive by every day. Saltwater hippie bar and the Madeira Beach Dive Bar. And I follow mm-hmm. both of them on Instagram just to see because I'm curious what the end story, what the end game of this is. And so Saltwater Hippie Bar, marginal increase in their followers, 626. They're now at 721. Totally fine. Facebook, mm-hmm. that's gone up 769 to 996. So I think- I mean, in two weeks, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. Well, that one's always busy. Like that, You any time of day you go by that thing, it's 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 going. There's people there. Mm-hmm. Um, Madeira Beach Dive Bar, that's the sad one that <laughs> looks like you might get mugged or killed or something in. Instagram followers went from 666. That's the number I wrote down. And now it's at <laughs> 1689. So over wow. a thousand. Wow. In what, like a couple weeks? However many uh-huh. days. I'm like, what the heck? And there's no one that, I mean, there's like two or three people there. And then yeah. Facebook likes went up just a little bit. So they're definitely spending some money on some yeah. Instagram ads. For sure. Probably not ads because there's no, they're probably just buying them, you know, buy Facebook followers, Instagram followers on some shady websites. But, but there's apparently no not followers who actually want to go to their no. dive bar and drink. Exactly. Right. And so if you were, you know, looking at this, like, oh, that one's doing awesome, da, 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 but it's like the numbers don't really matter. It's like, what was the show? Was that Drew Carey? Whose line? The numbers are made up. Mm-hmm. They don't matter. Yeah. Da, da, da. I forgot his phrase he had, but that made me think of this. I'm like, it doesn't really matter. This oh, one yeah. The, the points grow. are all made up, so they don't, it doesn't, you know, doesn't yeah. matter. Anyway. Yeah. Points are made up, doesn't matter. Um, All this stuff. So I don't know. Just when we're looking at competitors, sometimes like, what? They got all these likes. They got all this stuff. And it's like, well, that doesn't really mean anything. It's It could be correlated with more sales, a better community, yep. all this stuff, yep. but it doesn't cause that to happen. Or it could just be like, oh, they're just buying a bunch of garbage to make it look cooler. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it still doesn't. If you took the numbers away on both of these, and I, I put the links up to Instagram, or if you drove by, you'd pick Saltwater Hippie. 
So it's the experience again, like overrules anything they're trying to do with the marketing. So end of story, awesome. beach bar update. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine, I just have to imagine they've spent at least probably a thousand dollars, probably several thousand dollars to get that Instagram follower count up, or they're just using crazy hashtags that don't really mean anything. And they're trying to go viral mm-hmm. just to get followers, but that's obviously not yeah. working either. No. But that's not going to solve their problem. It is so sad. Social media can solve a lot of problems. Can't fix stupid. Can't fix ugly. Right. Yeah. I feel like in a couple months, I'll be like, well, it closed down. Sorry, yeah. guys. Can't go there. Can't go there. Yeah. But it's a dive bar, so it'll hang on way past yeah. its prime. I think we're <laughs> Expectations are already low. Yeah. But they still have to yeah. pay rent. Probably. We were there. Um, I've got three quick ones. Ooh. First is uh, did a pre-sale webinar. I think it was yesterday. Man, the, there's just been so much going on. Get mixed up. But I'm pretty sure yesterday I did a pre-sale <laughs> webinar with folks at Lasso. So that should be up for you to go and view the recording. If you go to lassocrm.com, you should be able to see that there. I'm going to say the best webinar yet that yeah. I've ever been a part of. Yeah, oh, just uh, awesome. updated information, new, new fonts, new colors. Not None of that matters, but just the energy of it felt better and a lot of good reactions. So if you've read the book and you still have questions or you listen to the episode where we talked about pre-sale, you still have questions, that's a good good thing to go. It's completely free. If you go to lassocrm.com, thanks guys for having me. The other thing was that we talked before about the shenanigans of not owning your accounts. And, and I just wanted to give another example that just happened today of a builder here uh, locally to me who has two different agencies, partners that they work with, and one of whom I don't think they've actually interacted with for a while. But I just got this alert uh, as I'm helping him, kind of giving him advice since he's local to me uh, and a small, you know, I think he did like less than 15 homes last year. So not not a big not a big deal necessarily. But I get this email alert that says, and you saw it too, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. um, your Google Analytics account has been deleted and you have 30 days to hit the undo button or this is going to go in the trash can. Which I've never oh, seen that before. No. I'm like, this can't be real. I'm like, am I getting <laughs> fishy? I'm like, what, yeah. what is this? Yeah. Yeah. So what, which, because let's talk about that that afterwards, why you usually would never want to see that anyway and why it would be rare. But the first thing is just obviously this this guy does not own the account. So he couldn't go in. We don't own it. We just have uh, visibility to it. So we couldn't fix it. So he now has to go back to someone he probably hasn't done business with in a while and have an awkward conversation. And here's the thing. My hunch is that it wasn't, again, intentional. They were probably just trying to clean out like, hey, we haven't worked with them for a long time. Let's get rid of this. And whoever yeah. was doing it didn't realize that they were deleting it, not just taking access off for themselves. Right. So they're probably just trying to do some maintenance. Yeah, I'm so. going to guess. But regardless, you should own your own account. Now, the reason why we almost never see that message, Andrew, is because even if you're not using it, if it has historical data in there, you want to keep it to be able to reference yeah. at some other point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you would typically just rename it like old or no longer use or from 2014 to 2017, whatever. Because if there's data there, you want to be able to re- reference it again at some point in time. And if you just flat out delete it, it's it's gone and it's not coming back. Yep. And I believe only the account owner, so the original email that created the account can delete the account. Uh, I think it is anyone who has full admin access, oh, including user man. access, can do it. But they need like I think another level else... up in permissions or something so that, that well, I just I go, it brings up another good point, Andrew. Just make sure that whatever names are in there with admin access are people that still should have that. Yeah, good point. It's just another point. just because you have access. If over the years you've shared it with ten other people, there's a couple problems there. But the <laughs> biggest one is you might get kicked out yeah. of your own account. Yeah, and the other one is you may be teaching someone you no longer work with how you're doing things. So you just want to make sure that the people of access have the right access for what they really need and just keep that keep that clean. Okay, last part is I just got off a call with a builder who told me we just had our best sales week ever in company history. Whoa. Ever. Awesome. Yeah. I thought Yay. and I thought stuff is really slow and everything like that. Well, exactly <laughs> right. And this is by the way, this is not a and it's because they're working with us kind of thing at all. This is just 
it's a good insight to, I talked with someone late last night who no longer is in our industry. They now are very, very high up in general brokerage world. And he said, yeah, I'm at this annual retreat for this really huge brokerage, a national company that everyone would know. And they're talking about how soft the market is and things are definitely pulling back and it's just a little bit scary right now. And I was like, really? Because you know, the vast majority of the people that we work with around the country are seeing a pretty strong beginning to the year. Now, of course, individual markets, there's some hiccups, individual folks who have some product or pricing challenges, individual hiccups, but across the board, I'm not seeing it. And this kind of connects to me right with your dive bar update is that the market really has not much to do with it. If you can execute and you understand the data and how to adapt to it and you have processes, you can outperform the market even if it is soft. So it, it's not, I mean, if we look at Google Trends, generally speaking, things are, are looking good across the board for new homes. But even when it's not, I mean, I, I always go back to Harlan Homes. My, my best time period was 2009 to 2012 uh, post-recession. So uh, that's awesome. And we could end right yeah. there. Just best sales week ever. Boom. Positive. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I'll, but again, two builders that we work with, both in the same state, one of them has a drop in organic traffic of 25% compared to last January. Okay. And another in pretty much the same market area, similar product type has an increase of 30% organic traffic hmm. year over year. So again, just another highlight of regardless of the market, you control what you control and you can take your unfair share of that. So just uh, hopefully everyone listening is already encouraged and you're feeling upbeat about the year, but just take the reins and you, you can make stuff happen. That, that kind of brings up a, if someone's like, oh, well, how do I see if maybe my organic is not where it should be? I think they could, if their AdWords strategy hasn't changed too much and if their budget is generally the same, mm -hmm. I think they could be able to look at how their AdWords has trended over time compared to organic. Correct. I think we could, yes, we could you're kind right of on. Kind of expect yeah. like, well, if organic takes a dump, AdWords is going to take a dump because it's the same person yes. searching. It's not going to be a one-to-one -one relationship, but in terms of am I getting worse or better or is the market getting worse or better? Yeah. I think that yeah. the discrepancy or, or parallel track of organic to paid could be a good indicator of that. I Definitely. agree with that. And take a yep. dump as the official. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Oh, man. Huh. I will not um, that. All right. IBS. First, let's uh, let's shift over to the news. And the first one up here is from Agora Pulse. Again, that's a tool that we recommend. We make no money off of. But if you get a ton of social media comments and engagement and you don't know how to manage it, that's been a great tool for some of our builder partners to use who are overwhelmed. It's kind of an overall social media inbox. And you can comment, moderate all of those responses to your ads and, and organic posts in one kind of inbox. It's really nice. But they also frequently do tests. And so what's this one all about here, Andrew? Does an emoji and email subject line result in higher open rates? Specifically, 50% higher. 50%? That's a big number. It's <laughs> um, a really big do, number. What do we think without giving the answer yes or no and 50% I, higher? Yeah, I haven't actually looked at this yet. I'm going to say no to 50%, but I do think it's going to be an increase. Becca, um, what do you think? Probably double digits. I don't think it's going to make much of an impact. No hmm. impact. Interesting. I think, I feel like Becca might have read this. So the without going <laughs> through all the details, the, the summary is when we combine the data of both test accounts, we found that the open rate was 1.32% higher without emojis and click-through rate was 2.63% higher without emojis. I think I wrote that down wrong. So it was actually lower with emojis. Interesting. Yeah. So did they pontificate any more on that? Like I'm always trying to poke holes, not because I'm a skeptic as much as, although I probably am. 
<laughs> as much as I just want to always challenge, like you want to challenge any data. And if it survives the challenge, then you feel better about the, the accuracy of that data. Yeah. The challenge that I would have here is mm -hmm. like emojis are going to affect people potentially younger than 30. For sure. And is email the preferred method of interaction from folks under 30? We'll talk about Instagram. I would say it's probably not. Okay. Okay, good. So you've already yeah. thought about this. Good. And yeah. we'll talk about Instagram in a second. So I would say email is not. Yeah. Email is not. Yeah. Email, I think people might, and they didn't talk about this, but they, they maybe they might associate it more with, okay, this is obviously marketing. Like this feels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think where they talk about this, results, results vary from email to email. And that'd be like, so the study is the averages. So the, the end result is the averages of everything. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine if, if a smart marketer wanted to test this in the building space, like different types of emails and then different emojis within those. And maybe there's certain ones where like an emoji is really like a work well, but then the rest of them, it's not versus like, Hey, it's a yes or no answer. Yeah. On emojis. And also, emojis. I feel like it would matter. Like if you're a waffle store or a pancake store, Ooh. you're hampered already because there is no waffle emoji. So what are you going to use? <laughs> right. What emoji <laughs> makes the clearest connection to that? Whereas if you're the original pancake house or yeah. international house of pancakes, you've got an emoji that's really closely associated. So I also just wonder about, does that like, have an impact? Just uh, like putting a smiley face. But if I, generally like I house feel my emoji, yeah, a like house new inventory or homes available and it has house, house, house or something. Right, right. Or if Banana Republic sends an email with a shirt or a jean emoji and a banana, right? Pant, pants or, jean, or shirts, then I feel like that's more, I don't know, maybe it has no correlation at all. Yeah. But generally so far they're saying emails, no, based upon their... I think that'd be a good thing their, to test. It'd be really, really fun if someone did that and shared it. In the yeah. I feel like people have. I feel like that's definitely something that at a previous builder show or somewhere, someone yeah. has talked about their own internal test and they found that emoji did have a positive impact. But again, that was also back when it was probably more rare. So yeah. now it seems like it's just a lot more commonplace. True. And then in there, they also link to a, the same type of study. And they did, I think, do a really good job on their studies, um, I think, compared to most where they talk about Instagram. And Instagram had had a similar lackluster result where with emojis, the interaction rate, which was comments and likes, was 1.79%. And then without it is 1.68%. Um, and it's the same type of uh, conclusion. It varies based on, and again, I think it's going to be like, who's your audience? What are you talking about? What was the post about? All that stuff will vary if, if emojis yeah. could increase it. Because that's a pretty low um, engagement rate, 1.79%. Yeah. But if you did a ton of these, like the, the percentage increase is still, I mean, 15% higher interaction rate posts with emojis is significant if you were doing a million yeah. Right, yeah. posts or you're just doing a lot more. I don't know. Are you surprised, Becca, about which emojis were the most popular on Instagram in 20, no, this is 2017? But I just, um, this is really actually, the fire emoji kind of threw me for a loop. I was expecting the camera to be kind of high, but maybe not the highest because everybody always uses that for the photo credit. I was going to say that photo credits and it's like, okay, cool. I'm like, yeah, great. I know some industries that's like, like events like that. You do that. Like that's standard. Yeah. Fire the gym one or the guy, the flexing muscle, like that but could be any fitness related yeah. post. None of the other ones I use at all really, except for like the celebratory uh, cone with the confetti. Party time. This is what makes me feel old is when would I use a blue heart? Does that mean sad? Like I'm, no, I'm, I don't know. I love that thing or person or blue food, heart. but I'm sad I ate it. Let me look it so up. I use a blue heart. <laughs> Too much <laughs> ice cream. Emojipedia.com.org. <laughs> um, what does it mean? But what does it mean? I don't. Yeah, where's the Urban Dictionary for emojis? I think Urban so Dictionary might have the best. People are screaming at their car right now. Like why? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, a deep, a blue heart symbolizes deep and stable love. Interesting. Okay. okay. Now I know. Well, that's that weird. Is, that huh. is weird. Okie dokie. This is not in our show notes anywhere. I've got, have you guys heard of the Squad app? The Squad app. No. Yeah, but I'm Googling it right now. The Squad app. Okay. So this is a screen sharing, mobile screen sharing app that lets you like co do something together. Hmm. Okay. Anyone? The Squad app. I was going to say, oh. New screen sharing chat app that everyone will copy. So you get, it's basically FaceTime with the ability to share your screen. And so what you can do is you can shop with thing, for things with a spouse or a friend online. You can make recommendations. You can look at photos, watch videos. And so what this says all over this TechCrunch article, which we'll link to is alone together, <laughs> which just sounds sad. <laughs> it is but sad. the thing that this could end up being used for this with speculation is if you're using a service like Zillow and you're co-shopping with a, with a spouse who is on the road or a family member is that you can, instead of sending links back and forth through text or whatever, you're just, you're talking and looking at it and seeing their face at the same time. So we're going to test that out over this next week and we will we'll let it. you know. That'll be nice. I remember before we decided cool. to build, I think I might have like 30 different screenshots of houses sent to my boss, Lindsay on, Hey, what do you <laughs> know this one? Did you see this one today? Did you see they do a price drop? Da, 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 da. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's super cool. I think that's neat. And the next one, what do you think? Oh, we, we have got more one. news. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, well, I think the, this <laughs> next one is, is super, super important. Pull over and, and listen oh, to this yeah. one. Yes. Google tells. I'm going to queue a PSA sound alert for this one. Like that. Yeah. So Google tells some advertisers <laughs> it will handle their campaign management. Ooh, frightening. If you remember, maybe like three months ago, you had to opt out of Google suggested ads, I believe was the official term. Mm -hmm. So you click the account. Yeah. I don't want those ads. Same process for this. And this was this article's from yesterday afternoon. So it's, it just, just came out. So they'll go in there and make any change they want besides budget, which is just like if you talk with any Google huh. rep, except if you're going through a Google rep or at least a Ugh. Google agency rep, they send over like a contract to fill out that yes we're allowed to do this da, 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 if you want them to to do anything which sounds terrifying so we of course no don't touch anything and so this no. if you don't pay attention which i think a lot of people might not pay attention if they're if they're managing it themselves they're just so busy and they can miss like hey google's gonna start doing stuff next thing and they'll be like hey what's going on with google and they made smart campaigns and all this other weird stuff that doesn't really do anything yeah terrifying yeah and google's trying to spin this as we're just trying to help small businesses i mean the headline is we'll focus on your campaign so you can focus on your business. And that's yeah. this is the email message that they are sending out to certain account holders. And my guess is they're cherry picking account holders who have a higher budget set and never meet that budget because the account is not set up, quote unquote, properly. And so they're yes. just trying to maximize their revenue. But at the end of the day, this is this is why tech companies get a bad rap is they understand just like in Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, he talks a lot about the power of the default option. The default is we are going to take over your account unless you click this button. Even if they pay attention, it takes a lot of mental effort to want to click here versus just hitting delete and moving yeah. on with your life. And so they know that a lot of these people are just going to automatically opt into. And I, I think this could be bad for them. I mean, I, I, they're probably going to be yeah. smart and not pick people who are suddenly going to be like, whoa, where'd this $10,000 charge come from? I've only been spending 800 bucks. Uh, hopefully they're yeah. not going to be that dumb, but it could be could, could yeah. backfire if they do it wrong. It's just in beta though right Correct. now. They're saying a small Some small pilot. Watch. And I'd imagine that they could have their algorithm pick accounts that you know people don't log into 
there's been no changes in the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't check. Aren't and all monitoring. those things, but maybe still open Google emails. That would be interesting if they could combine, do they open emails? Do they never log in? So they will get the notification. Have they missed any payment? All those sort of things to find like, oh, these yeah. are the perfect people to test this with. Well, the last one for something completely different comes from our friends at Professional Builder Magazine. And the headline is Momentum Builds for Build to Rent. Communities of newly built single family homes are being developed exclusively for renters by choice. So builders getting into the single family rental game at scale. And this has been around actually for quite a while, even maybe as early as 2006, 2005. I've known builders who they have a rolling spec inventory program, meaning that at any given time, they want to make sure they have X number of inventory homes completely finished on the ground, ready to go. Generally, not my favorite business strategy, but a lot of builders do that. And what they would do is they would say, okay, well, if that inventory home doesn't sell after six months or a year, instead of reducing the price or doing the the five P's and figuring out how to fix this problem, they would just turn it into a rental and they would have a sister company purchase the home from the building company and then turn it into a rental. And it's actually pretty lucrative. And as long as you don't have too many of those in a community, that can be a drag if the rental folks who are renting aren't aren't maintaining the property as well. And the company, the landlord is not maintaining the company. It can cause some less desirable impressions of the overall community if you have too many of them. But they've been doing this for a while. But this is really starting to gain trend. What they're talking about is pre-planned from the start. It looks and feels like a traditional single family community with an amenity of some type, but it is all for rent with one exception. And this is one of the builders that we do work with, Mungo Homes, based out of Irmo, South Carolina. They actually have mixed them in with some of their communities, but they have kind of a strategy around it. So what do you guys think? You can, everyone can go read more of the actual quotes and kind of kind of how and why this works. But Becca, what, what comes to mind when you hear that this is becoming a, a larger trend? I actually really like it from a business uh, standpoint because when the housing market gets a little soft, generally the for rent market is a little stronger. So it's a good way to balance out the two halves together and kind of keep your business a little bit more steady along the path. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we used to hear all the time from Paul Seville at NBR was you can only sell every house once. So right. you yeah. maximize the revenue you can on it, you get the best margin possible, but you only get you only get money from it one time versus yeah. being able to get ongoing recurring revenue from this asset. Obviously, it's much more capital intensive mm-hmm. for builders, yeah. potentially, to hold on to that much real estate. What do you think, Andrew? I would love to, if I was like a master real estate investor, create an amazing Excel file that would have the cost to build, let's let's do easy numbers, 100 homes and then have those lease rent for seven years or whatever time period, and then exit those homes in seven years, what the overall income would look like, you know, start to finish. Because it'd be really cool if someone wants to nerd out and do that. You could also look at it this way. If you have the cost to build and then the lease up times, I think they said they were pretty short that they were leasing a lot of homes in a very small time frame so that the lease up period was short and then you could turn around and sell it to a REIT and then pull all mm-hmm. your cash out that way so the REIT can count on that steady income rate. Yeah, and we're getting I, fancy. At the end of the day, I feel like it is a great way to tackle housing affordability and yeah. like I said, the fact of getting recurring revenue versus a one-time sale and having to replace the land. Like as a builder, if you can keep getting money from a piece of property and not have to go find new home sites, that's amazing 
because the amount of work and effort to identify and get those approved is just insane. However, I think so. I think for the company, it's good. For the consumer, you know, owning a home is still generally the single biggest way that a household builds wealth over time. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that's the only thing that everyone's like, well, millennials are going to care. They're going to want ease of in and out. They want to push buttons, sell a house and they want to be free as a bird. Yeah. And did they like being poor? Like at the end of the day, all that flexibility, I haven't seen a financial model yet that says that that unless you're going to go to a place that is really up and down, like a a New York City type of scenario where, you know, prices can rise tremendously fast and fall tremendously quickly. In in those scenarios, maybe maybe it makes more sense to rent. Probably does in most cases because the price to buy is so crazy. But I feel like someone's missing out on this. Yeah. From the, it'd be interesting to see like what percent of those those people say it's like rent a Mungo home because we were just talking about them. How many Mm -hmm. of those people go up, go and grow up and go on to buy a Mungo home because they've had the experience and they're getting oh, the, yeah, that's say if, they, if they're like, hey, we need to rent right now because we're not sure if we're going to live in this location for more than whatever amount of time. And then mm-hmm. they end up renting there and then staying there and they're like, oh, well, we had this quote 2018, 2019 Mungo home. It was brand new. Yeah. Let's just buy a new one. This was this was amazing. Yeah. Also interesting if it's just like this whole other, say in 10, 15 years, this changes you know, a bit and it's really popular. Just changes another, like not only are we bidding on new homes, XYZ, but now it's like we have this whole rental marketing internet game to figure out would be like two because it's completely different uh, rental person. Have, have either one of you guys, I rented an apartment right out of college, but if you either one of you rented a single family property, your yes. first I one? I have. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I feel like Several. if you're living in a house, like what incentive do you have to, you're not, you're not renovating it. You're not investing in it. I mean, you might, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I, I get an apartment. That's easy. You're, you're living there. It, it feels like home for a while, but eventually if a single family home is home, you want to start making it yours to some extent, right? Uh, maybe not. Yeah. I think if it's new enough, you might not feel that neat. Like if you're like, oh, wow, this is outdated. And you're like, oh, I really want this. But if it's a, a new home and it's what people expect and then people come over and visit, they're like, oh, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if, see, I think the trouble, I, so I rented from a private, like if you had four homes in the area versus someone larger where hopefully they include landscaping and they do all that type of maintenance <laughs> versus there is like, wow, there's a tree and the rest of it looks really sad and depressing. So we're like, hey, do you mind if we like plant some <laughs> And we started to do, just like you said, make it feel like it's ours, even mm-hmm. though it's ours, but we don't want to come home and like there's mulch and grass and that's it. There's no shrubs or anything. I guess at the end of the day, I feel like this narrative is starting to creep in over and over again in lots of different types of media and in lots of different places of no one wants to own anymore, but somebody owns everything. And those are the people making money. That's what I guess I'm trying to express is Mm, I feel like there's almost these people who have a lot of money are trying to convince everyone, you know what? You don't really want to own. You just want to pay me money all the time. And I'm that's like conspiracy theory. So I know that's probably not what's really happening. That's just the way it, it feels. Yeah. And probably because I over-index on focusing on this type of news story because it is so interesting to me about where we might be headed. But. Yeah. It could also be a way to handle the millennials who have a lot of student debt and can't buy yet. Right. Yep. But I think then that just puts off. Yes. It, it delays. It extends the time period of them looking to purchase a home. But this idea that no one wants to have a place to call home, they just oh. want to be continual migrants. Yeah, that's crazy. Like yeah. what, what happens if you rent a single family home for eight years and then they say, sorry, we're, we're not renewing your lease. You've got to get out because we're going to rent it to someone else for twice as much money. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, excuse me. No, I don't want that to happen. I want to have a house that's home. 
at this I point? Yeah. With the payment that I Had. decided I could it, afford it, when like I moved here. It's like all the stories you hear about people who buy a tiny house and then realize it's hell on earth, potentially, right? Like yeah. having four kids in a one and a half bedroom, 400 square foot box <laughs> that sounds is terrible. not no. what it appeared like when you watched it on HGTV. Yeah, that'd be awful. <laughs> I'd be at the office all day. Okay, that's... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't that. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. Oh, man. That'll do it for the news. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Andrew Morgans, the founder of Marknology, an Amazon brand accelerator. What does that mean? It's kind of like pre-sale without fail, but with products on Amazon. We're going to pick his brain and see what's similar and what's different and his unique take. We'll be right back. All right, let's get started with this week's guest, Andrew Morgans. This is someone I've known since, oh, geez, what, 2013, Andrew? Yeah, it might even be 2012. I'm, I'm horrible with dates. That's a long time. I feel like I'm getting old, even though I'm not old, when I could say I've been, I've worked with someone that while ago in the same, you know, profession, marketing. Uh, we got started down here in, in Tampa Bay, Florida, um, working for the same person doing automotive e-commerce. So, Andrew, I, I like to say that you worked for me, but we really worked on, alongside each other, managing the site, managing products, getting new products yeah. on the site. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. What kind of products are we talking about here? Oh, we were selling, I mean, I think the main product I would say is hitches. Yeah, that was mainly hitches. So towing products, uh, anything to pull something and anything related to that. I feel like I kind of started with some of the hardest products out there in e-commerce. Uh, you're talking about heavy hitches, all different sizes, big dimensions, uh, poking through boxes, you know. Um. It was, and you, it was interesting <laughs> because you really were dependent on, and this is like something our builders would have no idea about, that type of product, you were dependent on the carrier, so FedEx or UPS, to really make or break if you made any money because the product was so large. If you didn't have discounts in the contracts with the carrier, FedEx, UPS, post office, you really could not compete, survive, or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so the product was important, but that was even more important to be able to compete. It's the contractor, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. My only experience with, with truck hitches, because I have never towed anything in my life so far, is uh, my last builder at Heartland, we had uh, custom hitch covers. Oh, nice. And I just remember... They always broke off in the uh, car wash, though. Every time you had to like, who's going to come out of their car and take off their hitch cover every time uh, you go through no the car one. wash? You're not going to. No, no one. None of it. None of no. it. <laughs> so, Andrew, if you could give a quick, um, I think you have a super interesting life story growing up all over the place. Just like a quick few minutes of where you've been and pre whatever age that would be before we met. Everything before then, I think is super interesting. <laughs> Yeah, well, I am a pale-skinned, red-headed guy, uh, and I say that because what comes next is interesting, but um, I was born in Montreal. My parents were learning French there, uh, working in missions work. Um, before I was three, um, I moved from Montreal to uh, Cameroon, Africa. Um, from Cameroon, we moved back to Kansas City uh, to raise some money and, you know, funds and stuff like that when you're a missionary, you come back on sabbatical, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, we went to... Uh, Moscow, Russia to teach at a, a Christian school there. We were filling in for someone that had a family emergency mm -hmm. and really just trying to get back overseas. It's easier to stay overseas once you're over there. Um, from Russia, we went to Botswana, which is uh, Cameroon was like bush, like out there in the mountains and, you know, think like out there in a tribal life. Um, and Botswana was uh, more of a community. We were in a, a desert environment. And so I was going to school there with the locals um, and uh, really immersed in their culture.
culture at that. I was probably, that was before I was 12 uh, by the time we were in Botswana. Um, came back to Kansas City for a couple of years. Um, and then we went to Congo, Africa, in Kinshasa, which is like 12 million people. And when we were there, it was, it was labeled one of the most dangerous places, actually the most dangerous place to live in the world uh, before 9-11. So we were there during um, a coup. We were there uh, during a really rough time. Um, I was picked up and conducted wow. by military at the time. And I like telling these stories because it kind of gives a little just background on, I don't know why I'm so good at thinking outside the box sometimes. And, uh, you know, kind of just like uh, happen to problem solve and pivot because whenever you grow up in that type of environment, you know, you just learn like, hey, there isn't just like, let's go to places at Walmart. <laughs> you have to think like creatively how to reuse things and how to make the most out of what you have. And I think that those early days definitely taught me that in resilience. And um, I, we came back when I was uh, right before my 16th birthday, landed in Kansas City. It was an interesting time adapting, went to a couple years of high school. Um, and then my dad took another appointment in Hawaii. So I was out there for about three years and then a family emergency in Kansas City again and we're coming back. So Kansas City has always been home. Back to Kansas City, I started touring, playing music, chasing my why, which has always been freedom, mm -hmm. financial freedom or geographical freedom or, you know, figuring out what that meant for me, which is a big part of what I do now. Um, and I was chasing that with music and, and being all over. I decided I hated being poor, uh, <laughs> hated being poor and couldn't take anyone out on a date with uh, my band salary. So um, at this whole time, I was going to school online at Park University and got a degree in computer science, graduated, got into networking, and I'm almost there. I swear, I know this is longer than 30 seconds, but I, I, gradu I graduated from, uh, uh, from Park with a computer science degree, got into networking, um, and was working at MasterCard and making more no, money than I ever good. had. But I really looked at my colleagues around me after a few months of being there and, and really settling in and being like, I just can't watch. I can't watch like cops on the subtitles all day, you know, while I'm waiting on these networks to break. So I have something to do. <laughs> Nothing against who I was working with, but I was like, you know, if I do my job well, uh, if I do my job really well in like five years, I'm going to be them. Uh, and that's just not what I wanted out of life. So I actually took a chance and, and moved down to Tampa with my girl and family at the time. Was applying to a lot of jobs. I had a lot of offers in networking and kind of turned them all down to work at a really a small startup. And that's where I met. That's where I met Peak. So I caught us up to there really fast. I have a question about your uh, time mm -hmm. out with missions in, in Africa, because my favorite teacher of all time. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. His name is Bruce Campbell. And he was a, a missionary kid in Africa, and he used to tell me horrifying stories. Now, he's probably now, I'm sorry, Bruce, if I'm wrong, late 60s. But he used to tell these horrifying stories of being asleep at night, and I'm not sure what part of Africa he was in. But he had to sleep with a, a dagger at his chest be, out of fear of being attacked by baboons. Well, uh, he obviously wasn't around somewhere that was really populated, because <laughs> yeah. anywhere that's really populated, uh, there's not a lot of wildlife, because yeah. no one's working, everyone's hungry, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I lived in Congo, which is a rainforest, um, you know, like that type of jungle climate, which has all kinds of animals. But in Kinshasa, there's no animals around because of just the mass amount of people out there kind of in the bush, as they would call it. Like my friends had a pet chimp. So we slept. I wouldn't say I was always that uneasy, but we were definitely getting you know, thieves trying to get in the house. At the very least, snakes trying to get in the toilet pole and uh, or in the cupboard or wherever. Africa is like another, there's all different countries in Africa, don't get me wrong, so they're all different, but parts of Africa is very much like being on another planet. So your company that you founded, Marknology, tell everyone what is it specifically that you help people yeah, do? Yeah, so um, starting with the job there with, uh, 
with Andrew Peak. I gotta say that just because my name's Andrew as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I think everyone called me Peak, which is it's interesting that that nickname's kind of left since. Yeah, then. we just and call him the Ad Doctor. Ad Doctor oh, Peak. There we go. You call me whatever you want. <laughs> well, Marknology. Um, it's simply put, Marknology is an Amazon brand accelerator, and I think that we are. While there's a lot of companies out there, there's a lot of people that do Amazon consultings like that. I think that we are a lot different than that. since working with Andrew and eBay and Amazon uh, on a small scale, you know, in 2012, 13 till now, spent hundreds of thousands of hours on, on these marketplaces, platforms. Um, and we help brands specifically navigate that platform. So brands that are trying to talk directly to their customers, brands that they're, they've got 50 resellers now on their products or brands that are trying to get on Amazon for the first time, navigating those challenges, being a partner for them that can help them get the most out of their platform. We've worked with 200 plus brands, you know, I've probably managed, you know, man, if I'm guessing probably like 70 plus million dollars on Amazon uh, through these brands and continuing to grow. So yeah, we are what I would think is a thought leader in the branding space on Amazon. And my team focuses specifically on Amazon and what it takes to really tell your story and have a good brand presence on that. Okay. Um, so from ground zero, so do they have a product or do they have an idea? Or like, what does that look like? Because we have, you know, a lot of our listeners will launch new communities all the time where they have whether they're the developer, they're buying lots in the, in the community, but they have nothing, you know, there's nothing there. And maybe they're doing a new product line, new floor plans, whatnot. So what is your process like when there is nothing? So, you know, the best advice I could give, this is some content. Uh, I have a, I'm doing a major push in 2019 for content. So, so you guys' podcast fits right in there. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, thank you. I got some videographers following me around, helping me tell my story, um, you know. Okay. Okay. Uh, so helping me get more content out there and kind of telling this. And one thing that I want to focus on is the difference between, even in real estate, um, and I see this all the time, the difference between working with that friend as a realtor, not maybe not even development, but as a realtor working with that friend or working with a true profession. There's a big difference and there's so much money to be made if you know what you're doing. So these brands I was working with that were starting a product, they had an idea for what they wanted. They had already been talking to manufacturers and really just knew that they wanted to make Amazon where they launched their their next investment. So they had been referred to me, reached out, but it was before they even had a product made. Like they, they had hired me in advance to start helping them guide them through how do we create the product box? You know, how do we get it prepped for, you know, if this is product is going to be on Amazon, how should I, how should I label it? You know, how should I design it? Um, what do we need to do for photography? What do we need to do to market it? And so at the early stages, it was a lot of strategy and consultation. And then later on, it became, you know, implementation. And so let's just use like a fictitious, the ad doctor wants to start a hat business or a sock business. Socks. Um, let's do socks. Okay. So he wants to do socks. Uh, what kind of socks, Andrew? How about socks that... Ca casual, sports, professional? Um, fitness socks. Fitness, fitness socks. Is, okay. It's hot. So something I could wear to the gym. Yeah. Anything cool that fitnessy people will wear or people so he's who done, are excited about fitness, which right now would be perfect. The ad doctor's done the hard, hard work of designing a product. He's got five SKUs, but they're literally, he doesn't even know what SKU means yet. He just has five different kinds of socks that he has prototyped and he comes to you and says, I want to get this on Amazon because these are going to be the, the athletic socks to take the world over. Nike's going to acquire me in two years if we do this right. Mm -hmm. What does Marknology do then in terms of some, just, some, just some practical steps? Because what we want to try to talk through is how those may be similar or different, probably a lot similar to how real estate and, and new homes have to be marketed as well. But let's just kind of walk through a scenario and see yeah, how Yeah, so it's actually it funny because out. I have a client that primarily sells socks. Easy. Yeah, so we're crushing it. We're crushing it on Amazon, as Gary Vee would say. 
But let's talk about these stocks. One, what is our competition doing in this space on Amazon? What are our price points? What's our value adds? Meaning like, okay, if we're coming into the market at the same price as these Nike stocks and we're competing with Nike, um, why are yours better? Why does Nike want to acquire you? If we're going to be at the same price point and not beating them on value and price and we're going to compete on that level, we're going to really need to point out why we have socks that they need instead of Nike socks. So I'm going to try to get that out of, of the brand. I'm going to try to get that out of uh, out of Andrew, um, get him to tell me why his socks are better. And in this in this discovery session, we're, we're asking kind of the hard questions. But at the end of it, the goal would be that we're excited and believe that we have a product that will do well, right? Otherwise, we're like, we, we've answered these questions that kind of shut the game down. And we need to pivot. Yeah. So this is a fun game because right now, to, to translate for home builders, most marketers don't get to participate in that because they're not the company owners. So this is this is a good first step that should be done. And and marketers in home building who have enough street cred to be part of the conversation, you need to be doing this competitive analysis, this defining the why, the what is unique, uh, how do we leverage that uniqueness and all the different facets of it. But in terms of so far in the process and, and comparison, most of the time, marketer at a home builder has just said, here you go. Here's 40 home sites. Uh, they need to launch in, in three months or six months, maybe a year. And I uh, think that's overpriced. F- figure out how to make it work. So just, I'm just I'm just going to as we go step by step, I think it'll be fun to kind of. Yeah. So, so that that's a that's a huge key point. I just wish that more marketers in home building were part of that discussion. No, I, I agree. And, you know, I actually have a lot of the heart. I've found that the more direct and straightforward I am, which goes well with my personality, but the better success we have, the better communication we have, the better relationship we have as a partner. So you identify the main points of entry, the strategy. Let's talk about content creation, because that's something that home builders struggle with mightily of all shapes and sizes, even when they have the money. They do. They're like, we got- You think it'd be easy. We got the money. Uh, we still don't know necessarily how to execute this well. Uh, t- talk to us about the amount of effort that has to go into content creation and, and how important that is or isn't in launching something on Amazon. Goodness, it's everything. And I think it's everything across like, you know, real estate home building as well. So photography is like the number one, like the, I will have the toughest conversations. I'm not really a confrontational person, but I'll just, you know, I'm like, I need to see your photos like as soon as possible. And I'll be like, these are crap. You know, I'll have to say that because uh, if I'm, I can't sell a turd, you know, I don't want to sell a turd. I don't even work with, with brands that like, I think their products or turks. They might have an amazing product with bad photography and it's going to look like a turk. You know, so love it. We're like, I want great photography. I want it like if we're going to spend money on anything, let's do it on photography and hope, you know, hopefully we're we're selling a good product. That's where I am with my business now. You know, we're selling good products and working with good brands, but good photography, uh, video, even better, you know, and then with the content, um, I'm not, if we're selling socks, I'm not trying to advertise this as a shoe, you know, because people are coming in to look at a shoe and they see a sock, they're going to be upset, right? It's about setting the right expectations. So that's me telling them, you know, telling the seller as a marketer, like what we're trying to do. Um, and I'm conveying all of this while we're building the content. You know, I'm in the brand space on Amazon, which you can have videos, you can have storefronts and these like infographic type pages. But through all of that, I, I'm given like seven images, a title, bullet points in, in the description, maybe a beautiful description. I need to tell a story in one product page. You know, I want people to feel an emotion when they come across our product. I want them to be able to see themselves using it or a family member or a friend using it see them if it's a if it's a house i want to see them living in it they need to picture themselves living in it and i know that sounds like a lot but like if you pull that off well it results in lots of money right and so you know i launched a product in october with a brand that's selling uh, kitchen sponges and they're in kitchen sponges okay kitchen sponges okay a pack of four mm-hmm. you know 12.99 um which is a lot for sponges if you think about it 
but yeah. they're, they're antimicrobial sponges. Okay. So they're, they're these like uh, more organic, like cleaner, healthier. The goal is that you're getting four of them, one for a week. So you're not continuing to use a sponge that, that keeps bacteria. Oh yeah. That's, that's a big pet peeve of mine. I, if I see a rag or a sponge sitting around in the kitchen and my wife's not around, I just, I throw it away. I don't you're know like, how long it's been used. Like, this, <laughs> is, this is dirtier than eating off a dirty plate, you know? Yeah. Why are we just smearing yeah. this around for? This makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, so this is an interesting product though, because I'm competing. Some sponges are $4 on it, you know, and I'm yeah. a pack of 12 if they're the cheap ones. So, um, but what we did well and the results are amazing is we're converting at 57% on this listing. Is, sure. is that a unicorn like outlier or what would it be like an average conversion rate on Amazon? Because we're used to a lot lower numbers. You know, if I come across a product that's converting at 6%, we have different products all across the board that get different amount of traffic. I have a lot that are in the 30% to 40%, which is really high. Um, but I have others that, you know, if we raise it from 7 to 11% over the course of a year, like we see a ton of sales growth. Bunge, how much of that content is story slash brand content, emotional, and how much is, you know, the high res shot of the sponge still done well? But how much of it is like logically I need to shop and understand and, and, and know everything I can about this sponge versus the story part? If you had to give a split percentage. Um, I think it's, let's just go 75 about the sponge and 25 about the story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think on Amazon, if I can tell my story at all, I'm doing well because it's not a platform that's built for storytelling. But if I'm going to sell a $12.99 sponge, my photos need to be great. I need to tell them quickly why they need to pay that much. And then adding the storytelling in of these women that have created this sponge and why they did it, they saw this need and who they are, all are leading factors, in my opinion, to, to why it's doing so well. Yeah. And I think sometimes, too, that logical content or the more factual content, the I call it uh, Andrew crime scene photography, where you're like, you're documenting, this is what it actually is. It's just a shot of the thing, but it still has to be lit well and done correctly. I think sometimes too, and especially for real estate, Airbnb, some of the storytelling can come from the consumer if there's enough depth and breadth of that more factual content. Because to your point, I don't know what kind of kids someone is or isn't going to have, uh, their, their ages, the sexes, um, what their hobbies are going to be. But if I have great depth and breadth of content about what it's like to live there in that area, what's available, and it's cohesively curated and, and packed together, I can almost start to tell my own story too, which... Uh, You've got a community, you know, uh, and what's the story of that community? What's it going to be like, you know, and why do you want those people to live in there to contribute to that? Okay, wrapping up here. Last, last question. It's a biggie that a lot of people in real estate and new homes are concerned about. Do you, two-parter, one, do you think that Amazon will be in the business of selling new construction homes anytime soon? And if so, uh, what would, how would the platform change or need to change if at all in order to make that happen? Do you think? My head immediately goes to like Airbnb is going to start selling homes. Yeah, that's a biggie. You know, Zillow is going to cut out realtors and start selling homes. Like some of the information I know, um, I know Amazon's massive, but I won't say that I don't immediately see Amazon starting to sell homes. It's just, I wouldn't say I know anything about Jeff Bezos' mind, but like, uh, you know, I think he's dealing with food and, you know, different things like that right now, um, as far as like his next expansion. But I wouldn't put anything past him, you know, uh, it's not on my radar, but I've been wrong only about a million times in my life. So. <laughs> 
No, I, I tend to agree with you. I think as a marketplace, <laughs> I mean, there are so many other things that are less capital intensive for them to crush first. Right. Like groceries. I mean, which are, I mean, obviously you're holding an item and then you're delivering it. So, But the turnover on grocery is so much faster than on new construction where it's going to take you five months just to build it. Um, I mean, I think they're capitalizing a bit on your guys' industry in regards to connecting like contractors with products. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have like a smart home or electrical items or plumbing or like a fan, um, you can go through their contractor portal and or like not that you can register as a contractor there, but it'll say like yeah. have, have a professional come and install it. So, so I think that they're already capitalizing a bit on that before they go to like a whole home or, you know, things like that. I think it's a ways, but, um, yeah, yeah. It seems to me like they, they love to tackle low hanging fruit that they can use their tech to just gobble up quickly versus taking on too many, just enormous tasks head on. Right. Okay. Good stuff. This is all really good. And I love trying to relate it to real estate. So I agree. It's fun. Yeah, you bet. Well, thank you, Andrew, for being on. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. So everybody get your content game up selling sponges and there's <laughs> hours and hours and months and launching it. So let's get it going. My advice would be that, uh, you know, this is a space in real estate that's, that's lacking. And by, you know, someone putting in the effort to tackle it, you're going to be ahead of, ahead of a lot of people and really take advantage of the technology that's given to us to, you know, help you do your job. Wise words. And where can people find you at online? On Instagram, I'm just Andrew Morgans. Um, that's where I interact with a lot of my community, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on marknology.com. That's my website if you're interested in Amazon stuff. Always looking to just meet other people hustling and getting after it. You know, uh, small business, big business, whatever it is. I love talking it. I live and breathe this stuff. So love to build my community and happy to meet a lot of you guys uh, in the real estate space. Awesome. Thank you. All right, guys. And we're back. Thank you again, Andrew. That was always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Hopefully see you. You're in Kansas City. Maybe I'll make it out that way sometime. So the question of the week of the Builder Show is coming up. So are you going to the Builder Show? And how many times have you been? Yeah. So I think I started going, my first year was 2007. So that's what now, um, 12 years. This will be my 12th Builder oh, Show, I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This will be my third. Nice. And Becca. I've be never your, been. Oh my. This will be my first time. And so we don't have to Vegas. tell anyone who you used to work for, but you worked for a builder for how many years? Five. And they never took you? No. Did anyone else from there go? Never. Really? Man. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, then then they get a little bit more of a pass yeah. from me. If no one goes, that's fine. But if, if just the owner goes and he just uses it as a vacation and doesn't actually go to any sessions, <laughs> which is what a lot of builders do, that's not cool. So awesome. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first timer, I would say you stick to Sales Central, you stick to the Tech Byte room, okay. and you pick maybe one session a day that you want to wander outside of those areas. Okay. Just because you will meet the most people coming in and out of Sales Central and Tech Bytes. Okay. And then there's free lunch at Sales Central as well. That's true. Ooh, I like free food. And then you've got uh, the Builder Tech that Builder Designs and Lasso put on is always a good one to go to. Awesome. If you want to go to a crazy party, you go to Wells 
Fargo or New Homes Directory. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's nice. And Vegas is your first one. I've never been to the Vegas, uh, uh, whatever they call it, convention center. Been to Orlando. And so I, I'm like an hour and a half from Orlando. So I'm always like, oh, I'm driving to the Builder Show. The so Vegas setup is much better. Um, it's that. still it's still huge, but Orlando is just terrible. It's one of the worst conventions. It's the largest or one of the largest, but it's also one of the worst in terms of its layout, I think. All right. Um, other quick update on the shirt front. I think we've sold like $600 worth of shirts, which is not crazy in terms of volume. But again, I mean, these are kind of specific to what we do, but that's that's mm-hmm. awesome just to get out of the gate. And nice. it's a lot of uh, good help for the folks down in Guatemala who don't have a house or food. And so thank you for participating with that. Again, you can just go on Amazon and search for Happy Acres t-shirt or pre-sale t-shirt or market proof marketing t-shirt. <laughs> and then you'll see the yeah. all of your other store options there. And are there more coming out, I think? I feel like. Yeah, there are. Um, cool. Our designer, Jackie, uh, who will, should be on next week's episode. She's back from maternity leave, but had to do some, her husband's flying and had to pick him up in the airport. There's this thing called Uber, Jackie. You just say. <laughs> so I'd be like, I'm at home with the baby. You're getting an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> what I would say. But she's working on some OSC specific designs right oh, now. Oh, that's fun. So we promise nice. those are coming. Those, awesome. those are indeed coming. All right. That'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us. You'll see all of our social profiles uh, linked straight to them. You can email us directly, ask us a question. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.